Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see everybody out here again today. Uh, just for the sake of those who are watching online and didn't get the uh, announcements at the beginning before we started the, the broadcast, uh, just a reminder that next week uh, the broadcast for our services will start at 1045. We're going to try to start uh, on the nose, 1045, and that will be our pattern uh, going forward, 1045 to noon or so uh, as we wrap, wrap up uh, the morning service. And uh, Sunday school extended uh, from 9.30, which is the usual start time, but uh, we'll wrap up at 10.30 so to give the classes more, more time for teaching during that section. So uh, anyway, we're looking forward to that. Also a reminder of our fellowship meal next, after the service next week. Hope everybody will make plans to be here for that. All right, if you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Galatians. There's a couple of you that I've talked about a desire of, of what we're going to do for the next uh, extended series of uh, messages, and I've mentioned that I'm, look, I'm looking at going through the book of, well, actually, I'm going to go through all three of the epistles of John. Um, and so you may be wondering, those of you who knew that, I'm wondering, well, when's he going to get to that? I haven't forgotten, but I'm doing the prep work for it. There have been lots of things that have uh, made consistent prayer, uh, preparation uh, a challenge in recent weeks. So uh, I've been looking at different passages that actually uh, are, are chosen not just at random, but are really sort of laying the foundation of some things so that when we get to 1 John, we're going to be hitting the ground running as far as the themes that are there, which uh, yeah. are not often, the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John, particularly First John, are often uh, referred to others as being a simple way to hear about the Gospel, the deity of Christ, and all those things. And then you start to read it and realize it's not that simple. Because John is profound. His, his, uh, his, uh, Grammar, his Greek grammar is simple compared, comparatively speaking, um, but uh, the concepts are not. And so I've been uh, working on the preparation for that series. I'm looking forward to it, uh, to going through that with you. But today I'd like to turn your attention to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 23. I'm going to read on into chapter 4 a little bit. And then grab a verse out of chapter 5 as well. Uh, this week and next, uh, my plan to go through this, uh, this passage of Scripture and, and take a look at the joy of adoption. The joy of adoption. So if you are able to stand, I'd invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And then down to chapter 5 and verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. God will add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Please be seated. When I was just a few weeks old, I was adopted into a loving family. I've basically been pretty happy about that ever since. Not everybody understands adoption, however. Through the years, there have been those that looked aghast at me if I mentioned that I was adopted. And, but there have been others as well who, either because they were adopted themselves or they perhaps had adopted a child of their own or experienced that in their family, they smile with me. They know the joy that I know as being an adopted son. The joy of knowing that I was chosen. Notice the verse there in uh, chapter 3, verse 28. Uh, the phrase at the end of it, you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, when we are adopted, and this is here in the U.S. and in the West in general, I think it's fair to say, that many have an idea of Christianity as being a very individualistic thing. Don't, we don't, except for the you know going to church part, we don't, often think of salvation as a community reality. We think of it as the Lord saving our souls, which is awesome. But he saves us into a family. Part of our salvation is the community aspect of the entire body of Christ. And that's a whole, I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail on that, because we could spend a lot of time there. But nonetheless, we need to think of ourselves as part of the body that when we, because it is part of the joy of our adoption into the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all one in him. And that oneness together in Christ, it should bring us joy. But why? Why would that bring us joy? Think about something, just any number of things here in our society that we're used to. The unity of, of a team, for example. The unity of a family. The unity of... Uh, within a nation. Uh, those are things that bring us comfort and joy that we're not walking through life alone. Right? Even in the, in the present conflict uh, in Ukraine, uh, Poland just stepped up in solidarity. The, the, uh, the uh, football, as in soccer football, 
team refused to participate in a World Cup match with Russia over this and in protest. And th that kind of thing, I saw some of the feedback from those in Ukraine who learned of that, who were just encouraged by that, by their friends in Poland that were standing with them. And even in something like that, which, you know, as far as don't shoot me, you know, for saying this, but as far as something that is really not all that important, like a football game, made a huge impact in their morale because of the joy that that oneness brought. You know, uh, the world has lots of substitutes for unity, does it not? Lots of them. Uh, uh, you know, think about uh, things like support groups. You ever think about so what the, the purpose of a support group is? And here's a big, you know, Mr. Obvious, Captain Obvious statement. It is, you know, <clears throat> to support each other. But you find some joy and comfort in those support groups among people who have had similar experiences or going through similar trials or have similar ideas. Um, an extension of support groups would be like clubs of people of, of, of like interests and all of that sort of thing. You, you, your joy in whatever it is you're involved in is magnified because you're sharing that with other people. And certainly there's nothing wrong with those things uh, in and of themselves. But uh, it, I'm just expressing that as something that the world does that kind of thing a lot. But it can never, if that's all you've got is clubs and support groups and political organizations and whatever else, you're not going to get very far as far as any kind of lasting joy because it really isn't there. No, even if you've been brought in, in a sense, adopted as a member of the group, um, that's a pretty fleeting thing. If you think about it, though, in, in one way, and this doesn't encompass everything that the church is and what it's for, but in a way, the church, I like to think of the church as a support group for adoptees, spiritual adoptees, those whom Christ, our God, has adopted through and because of the blood of Christ and become joint heirs with him, the Son of God. And there's a real joy that comes when we are adopted into Christ. And over the next, today and next week, I want to explore a little bit about that joy and why it's there and what it means as we look at what the Apostle Paul has been saying here in the book of Galatians. <clears throat> now, we're going to start with verse uh, 26. Uh, the the run-up to this is uh, with verse 23, speaking of basically how before the Lord granted us faith, before faith came, we were held captive. We're under the law. We were bound to the penalties of it. We could not escape that. The law, as we know, the, the image that we have from the cities of refuge in the book of Joshua and Deuteronomy, where the law functions in the same way that the Goel Hadam, the redeemer of blood, the one who had to avenge the death of a family member, uh, the same way the law functions. It's relentless. It could not back off. It did not matter what kind of pleas for mercy uh, the manslayer would have done in those cases. If he was found on the road, the redeemer of blood, the, re the, the revenger of blood would have no choice but to slay him if he were found on the road. 
So that's why he would go and hide in the city of refuge under the protection of the high priest. The picture of the gospel there is so beautiful because the law drives us to the place of safety, to this place where we can be both in a, a local and physical manner, be, be wrapped up in this support group of the church where we can encourage one another, minister to one another, sit under the uh, preaching of the word, uh, uh, walk in submission to its discipline and, and, and benefit from its encouragement and all of that, all because there is a great high priest who has satisfied and paid the penalty of our sin. And that is our faith if we're in Christ. And so when we get to verse 26, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Where is the joy that we have as we have become one in Christ, adopted by him into his body? We have a joy in a common faith, in our one faith together. If, if you read this passage in Galatians, uh, I would not be surprised if your minds jumped over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where we read that there is uh, one, one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you see very clearly that in Christ, um, if we're in Christ, unity with others who are in Christ should be a, a real mark of the reality of our testimony, a real mark of the reality of our faith. I'm ho I hope that as you come to church on Sunday mornings, and fellowship with other believers, that you, your hearts go away enlightened and encouraged because of the time that you spend with each other. Because we're here, even though we have, all, you know, as I look around, um, I know um, that there are differences of opinions on various theological matters that are represented here in this congregation. And that's okay, because we, I think, agree here. I pray and trust that we agree here on the essentials of the faith of who Christ is, what he's done, and, and we find joy in that. We find great joy to know that even though in our frailty we don't necessarily have all the answers and we're still trying to work through what everything means and all of that, that we're hidden in him, we're safe in him, and that's our faith, and he's held us there because we know that he is our Redeemer. What does that faith uh, look like? Well, in Galatians chapter 2, just back a page or so, depending on, on uh, how big the print is in your Bible, but uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, we read this. Well, I, I will start with 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. 
because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I am really thankful that our faith together and our joy in faith together is not about our ability to perfectly keep God's law. How are you all doing on that today? Can you imagine the conversations? Um, You know, Stu comes up to me and says, Brother Lynn, I've got to tell you, I'm so excited. I have never lied. I've absolutely kept the law absolutely perfectly. And I look at myself and go, I think I can look through back through my life and there are still, even from my childhood, there were lies that I told that I still remember and still regret saying. Even if that were true, and I would give you a little hint there that Brother Stu would be lying if he said that. (laughs) But even if that were true, think about the nature of our fellowship from then on. Would we be able to have a near and dear heart-to-heart fellowship? Him being perfect in the area of honesty and me not? Would he ever trust anything I actually said? Would I, would I be walking along waiting for him to cast judgment upon me? How great is our fellowship going to be? This is why legalism divides churches. and Because it presumes that some of us are better doing this than others. And it creates wedges. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. The faith comes not in us, but in Jesus Christ, who is the only one who could say, I've never lied, never cheated, never stealed, never lusted, never murdered, never hated. The only one who perfectly kept all of God's law, which also renders us in awe before him, in a holy fear before him. And yet, as we read in this passage, because of adoption and because of the love that he extends to us, the faith that he grants to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we may have joy in his presence and not dread. It's astonishing. Faith in Jesus Christ, that is, that that encompasses um, all that we need to know for life and godliness and joy. But it is a faith that only God can give. This isn't something that we can kind of, you know, wind up within ourselves and get it going. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 makes that very plain. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I was, we were, we were down, uh, I had the privilege of sitting in with the children's Sunday school class this morning and helped out with the music. It was a lot of fun. But uh, we sang that wonderful little child song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. I'm almost tempted to ask all of you to sing it with me right now, if you know it. You want to try it? (laughs) Listen to the words. Simple, but pretty profound. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus. 
Because he first loved me. Not bad for a children's song. Because it encompasses exactly what we're seeing here in the book of Galatians. And what we understand about the nature of our faith. That that, the faith that we have comes to us because God loved us before we loved him. While we were still his enemies. While we were still at odds with him. In darkness and lost. He pulled us out of the miry clay. He brought us out of the field of blood where we were lying dead in our trespasses and sins and made us alive and clothed us out of his sheer compassion and granted us the faith by his grace to be made his children. That's pretty, that should be a pretty incredible cause of joy in your heart as you think about what God has done for you. And this faith is not just about the moment of our salvation and turning us around from, from sin and having a, a great life in this life. No, there's a, there's a much more far-encompassing aspect to this salvation that is eternal. If you'll turn over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading at verse 13 and read down to the end of the chapter. I want you to listen carefully here regarding the nature of, uh, or the object, I should say, of your faith. And in Christ, but even beyond that, what the ramifications of that are. So beginning at verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Yes, faith in the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our forerunner, our great high priest, the one who upon his death, um, at, on the occasion of his death, the Lord tore the veil from top to bottom in the temple. I, I have to wonder what the high priest of the time, the priest of the time, made of that. But it was not, it's not something to be disputed. It was understood by witnesses who were there. Access to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He, we have a hope that enters into that inner place, not just standing around hoping to catch some crumbs, but as those who have access to the very throne of God, Jesus has made that way. 
And it is a sure and certain hope, not wishful thinking. It is an expectation that this will happen because of all that God has done in securing it. This is our faith. And this faith as adoptees that God has granted to us gives us joy that we will not be cast aside. We will not be lost. We will not, no matter, no matter what happens in this life, we are his and his for eternity. We have joy in that one faith. And then uh, back to the book of uh, Galatians once again, please. Uh, there in chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. So we're all sons of God through faith. Uh, that's the prerequisite, by the way, for being a son of God. It doesn't mean uh, universal salvation that everybody's a Christian. It means this is how you're made a son of God. It's through faith. And then he says, for, or because, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, speaking of water baptism here, have put on Christ. So there is a visible identity with and taking on the very name of Jesus Christ as we walk uh, forward in this world. And then, he's, and then he writes, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah, calling your attention right back to Ephesians chapter 4 again. Remember there was uh, one faith and one hope, that couplet. Then the next couplet in is one baptism and one spirit. These things go together. Uh, this morning we read uh, from the Apostles' Creed. We often also read from the Nicene Creed. And in the Nicene Creed there is the phrase, one baptism for the remission or the forgiveness of, of sins, and it's speaking there in that ancient creed of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is um, depicted, pictured in the rite of water baptism, rite as an R-I-T-E, or ordinance, sacrament of water baptism. And that baptism, uh, both from the ex uh, external aspect of it, of of uh, being baptized with water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that visibly is to represent um, the reality of our identity as the people of the Lord Jesus Christ by God's grace. I say it that way on purpose uh, because of, of a particularly uh, one particular passage in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We read, in him, that is in Christ, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised through him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. No real... Uh, uh, no, no, no more clear statement in Scripture of the connection between the Old Testament uh, rite of circumcision and the New Testament ordinance of baptism. They, they stand for the same thing. Identity with God's people by receiving His sign upon them. That's what it's about. It's about inclusion in the covenant community. And we have joy in that. 
We have joy that we're, we're uh, if I could put it this way, card-carrying members uh, through the waters of baptism that we are part of his covenant community, at least his visible covenant community. And we pray and, and look forward to do what the Puritans used to say as improving upon your baptism to, by the grace of God, live in such a way and seek him out in such a way as to confirm and affirm that the waters of baptism were not applied in vain or in an empty or false way, but they were actually expressing the reality of what Christ has done for you. And this baptism then unites us as the people of Christ. And again, it's not just about the water. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We know from 1 Peter, the statement that the waters of baptism don't save anybody. Okay. Uh, that's such a blatant statement there. I don't know how people can contest it, but they do. Nonetheless, it says that there. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we read this. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. If you are a child of Christ and you meet other uh, other such children, uh, even if you don't speak the language, somehow you have fellowship. Somehow you have joy together. Of course, the more you can understand what each other says, the, more, the better. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, um, I've... From my own experience, I've seen this again and again and again, even when about the only words I know in a given language are, hello, goodbye, thank you, you know. Um, yet somehow, the love of Christ knits us together because we are all united together in the, as, as believers identified with him. And that is an incredible joy that comes with adoption. You know, there are folks that struggle going to church. Anybody here struggle to go to church? Struggle to go to church sometimes? Sure. There are some that because of the hypocrisy of others, sins of others against them, any number of other reasons like that, or, or just watching the church, uh, whether in the leadership or the congregation or all or everybody, fail uh, to live up to the testimony that they profess. It happens. But if that's what you're looking to for the, your joy in the church, you're looking in the wrong place. Your joy in the church and you as a covenant body of Christ, your joy in even in your own heart, in, in satisfaction in your salvation, comes, I believe, in large measure to the extent that you relish your union with others who have experienced the same adoption you have through the same faith and through the same baptism. In other words, you're looking at each other not in the sense of Oh, you're better than me or I'm better than you. 
but in that the Lord has redeemed all of us from the pit. And we rejoice together in that. And there are times even when our hearts are heavy and we're tempted to say, no, I'm not going, I can't do it. Then we get here and we start singing the praises and we start fellowshipping with one another and we're reminded that this world is bigger than our problems. And suddenly we find joy again. It's remarkable, but it shouldn't surprise us. That's the way the Lord designed it. He didn't adopt us into his family so that we would be miserable. Adopt us so that we could look at each other and go, well, uh, you know, he adopted me because I'm better than you. No, pretty clearly, all the way through Scripture, whether it's all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, or it's the, he doesn't choose the wise and the mighty and all of that. He chooses the foolish and the despised and the weak of the world so that he gets the glory. He told Israel, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest nation among the world in the world. I chose you because you were the least. And, I, and you keep you guys think you're so great on your genealogy. He said, but your your mother was a Moabitess, your father was a Hittite. It's kind of like, oh. You know, and for all of us, we're in the same boat. We can get really proud of our lineage, can we not? I was born in the church, raised, boy, I've been here all, I've been all my life. My family was this way. It's like, so what? That's not why God chose you. If indeed he did cho choose you, he chose you because you're a wretched sinner upon whom his grace would shine the more brightly as a, as a polished diamond does against a background of black velvet. That's the nature of his grace. And that's the nature of his favor. That's the nature of his mercy. And it's, it's him and his goodness that we have faith in, not in ourselves. And, and identifying with him uh, along with others who identify with him is a great joy. Now, I have a, uh, here's a tiny little rabbit trail and I don't want to get too, too far off on it, but uh, I've had a discussion more times than I can count through the years with people that uh, have an issue with denominations because it seems very divisive. And as, as a problem with most arguments, and I'll just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip my hand here, reveal my cards here to say most arguments that are wrong, there's an element of truth there. Is there divisive spirits between denominations sometimes? Yeah, because denominations are filled with fallen human beings who like to wave their banner and think our, and think our unity is all about the name over the door. But that's not the fault of the institution of denominationalism. It is the fault of the people who inhabit it. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, denominations are a far cry better if they're done, if they're, if they're walked in in a righteous way with one another than everybody being an independent and all doing that which is right in their own eyes without regard for anybody else. That is more divisive and has less unity than denominationalism if you follow me there. 
But we want to identify as Presbyterians or Baptists or Lutherans or Methodists or whatever else. And there can be a certain amount of joy. And of course, um, it used to be in this country that Presbyterians, Baptists, and Congregationalists and so on used to get along with each other in towns and so on pretty well with some good humored ribbing about each other's viewpoints and practices and what was unique to them. And, you know, Presbyterians, we will die by committee, you know, kind of thing. And, and, but we have good potlucks and that kind of thing. Uh, but we, we find a certain amount of joy in those kinds of external things that, that people look at us and go, oh, you guys do that stuff. Um, but we'd better have more than that. We'd better have more than that. Our joy is in who the Lord Jesus is and what he's done for all of us. Certainly, it is absolutely true that when it comes to, uh, to uh, glory and eternity, uh, there's not going to be uh, a Presbyterian section of heaven and a Baptist section of heaven. I, I'm really tempted to tell a joke about that, but I should probably not. Um, but uh, basically, there's not going to be any occasion for us to be walking around the streets of heaven. I'll just give you the punchline. And come across a place with a big wall and, and, and an angel says to you, yeah, well, that's that group. They think they're the only ones who are here. You know, um, there's not going to be any of that. Because we're all one in Christ. And we need to be working towards that now. Not in a way that compromises truth. And then, see, that's part of the problem and why there are the divisions and the necessity of the divisions of denominationalism and so on today because of sin. If there wasn't sin, we wouldn't have denominations. You ever think about that? But because of that, it's necessary in order to defend truths. And to, and to make statements. And immediately when you make statements that are categorical and absolute based upon the scriptures, that immediately has people going in other directions that think differently. It's just the way human society works, whether it's in theology or anything else. So, all right, I'll get off that rabbit trail and come back to the joy of our adoption. Where we talked about our joy in our faith, our joy in our one baptism. And then when we look at verses... Uh, starting at verse 29 and then on through chapter 4, verse 7, kind of the principal uh, component of Paul's uh, reasoning here is the joy that is ours as we are adopted in the one inheritance that we share. And I guess I've sort of, through that little rabbit trail, actually given a bit of an introduction into this section. So uh, from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, once again, in the heart of that list of seven things, we had, we had one faith and one hope. We had one baptism and one spirit of God. And then you have one body, one Lord, one God and Father of all, right in the middle of all of it. And we come right back to the Father who has laid out for us our inheritance and secured it to us by his grace, kindness, and love. We do have a joy that goes beyond this life, and we ought to have a joy in this life, in the things that he's given to us. But there is more to come. 
as a as a an old uh, evangelist many years ago. I heard um, he was from the south, and uh, he was a large man. I'll just say leave it there. But many of his illustrations in his sermons revolved around food, and uh, one he this was. This was in college, and chapel was right before lunch. We're all hungry anyway. And he starts going on and on about, you know, something of a similar nature. I don't remember the text, but he was talking about our, our joy in Christ, and he's describing it as this feast, as only a southern evangelist could describe a feast. By the time he was done describing every dish on the table, in his imagination, we were all just slobbering. <laughs> and he's describing that in terms of, think about all the things that God has done for you now. What, the, the glories of your salvation, the joys of your salvation, and fellowship in your own heart, and understanding of the word, and all those other things. And that's great. But he said, but he said like anything else, um, he said, we, we, he was describing it as if he was in a home. And, he, uh, and perhaps this was actually a real, I don't know if he was elaborating on it, or I couldn't see that that feast could have been real in some of the homes that I've been, been in. But he said that his hostess said to him, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. And in a way, this is the keep your fork section of the joy of our salvation the joy of our adoption. We've, we've already talked about this sumptuous feast of joy that is ours if we really comprehend what our adoption is all about and as we unite with others of like precious faith in that joy. It's marvelous. But keep your fork. The best is yet to come. There's an inheritance still to come that is yours and mine in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look at verse 29, uh, it's just... He's just said all of those traditional boundaries that, that divide us in a fallen world are done away with in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're all one in him. And if you are Christ, he says, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you're in Christ, you, you are a spiritual child of Abraham because as we see here, Abraham... What, what was the, and this is even before circumcision, before, Paul says elsewhere, before circumcision, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And then he proceeded to get all of those things that identified the nation of Israel as God's in particular, as it was to carry out, and circumcision being one of them. But look what we read there going on in chapter four once again. I mean that the heir as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he's the owner of everything. Okay? He's under all kinds of guardians and managers and you know, trust accounts and restrictions and all that sort of thing when he's a child. But when he comes of age, things change. We were under the management of the law, Paul says. Bound in that. We couldn't really know what God had fully in store for us. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Had to be so that he could meet all the requirements of the law on our behalf. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, now God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever really caught that in that verse. That it's, just the way it's phrased sparks my, my mental juices and gets them going. He didn't, uh, it doesn't, well, I'll say, it doesn't say, because you are sons, you now cry, Abba, Father. It says, because you are sons, he sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's not just that God saves us and we go, oh, Daddy, I love you. Even in our redeemed state, we don't even know how to talk to God. The Lord enables us at every step to come into his presence, to be adopted as his children, to teach us what to say, to teach us how to come into his presence and enable us by his spirit to cry out to God in love and trust and devotion. And all of this is part of this inheritance that is ours. Take a look at what you have here. Verse 29 If you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This inheritance is yours. Whether Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ. This promise, this inheritance is yours because of promise. This is about God's covenant promises. And if you look at the promises that are made to Abraham, which are said, which this covenant made with Abraham, God says this is an eternal covenant. the ramifications of it, both in terms of the land itself physically, but also for eternity. If you take a look at Revelation, chapter, Revelation, several different chapters in Revelation that speak of, particularly in the latter two, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth. If you look at the footprint of the new Jerusalem, which is... Um, 1,600 miles high, by the way. Clearly a figure, figurative uh, picture that is there. But the footprint of it, it's a 1,600-mile cube. Encompasses every part of the land that God, where God says he put it, encompasses every part of the land he said he was promised to Abraham. It's no accident. In other words, all the promises that were God gave to Abraham are going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And they're ours, along with with all who believe in the Lord's Messiah. You inherit according to promise. Genesis 17 speaks of some of that there, where Abraham is... The Lord promises Abraham you'll have descendants as the stars of the heaven and kings will come from you and 
all the nations and so on that are going to come out, spring out of him. And if you just do a little bit of basic homework and looking at the children of Abraham, starting with Ishmael and then Isaac and then others as well, and all the nations all spread out, um, particularly in that region. Um, yeah, there's those that the Jews would call Gentiles. Uh, in many respects, uh, we're still children of Abraham. Pretty remarkable thought. I know what they meant by that, but it's it's bears in mind that the Lord's ideas of boundaries are not quite the same as ours. Secondly, chapter 4 uh, tells us that this inheritance um, that has come to us by promise is is through the redemption that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that there through, uh, particularly in verse 4 and 5, to redeem uh, those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption, to buy us back from sin. And the Holy Spirit, who is prominent in all of this passage here, is, uh, is also involved in the keeping of us in this as you read in Galatians, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where the Spirit of God, uh, as we give praise to the glory of His grace, the Spirit of God is the pledge, the earnest of our inheritance. God pledges Himself to keep us till the end and deliver our inheritance to us intact. But this isn't just about owning, uh, you know, a plot of heavenly ground somewhere. You ever seen those those ads about, uh, you know, you can be a Scottish lord? Ever seen that? Oh, you can you can. I'm going to butcher it, but you can buy, you know, whatever a square foot of Scottish land and get a title and be a Scottish lord. Yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> what a meaningful gift. <laughs> Or even better, you can buy a, 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 a square foot or something or other on the moon, and boy, you've got boy, you've got title. You can pass this down to your your heirs. It's like, wow, they're going to be really impressed with that. Or name a star after somebody. I'm sorry if anybody's done any of this. Please, I'm not making fun of you, but I, it just it's this kind of thing that man wants to have these things that make us immortal. But God's inheritance is so much better. Keep your fork. Because that Scottish estate and the moon and the stars are going to be dissolved with fervent heat and your title's not going to be good anymore. But to the spiritual inheritance that it's in our Lord who never leaves us nor forsakes us, who who will never fail in any respect, whose promises never fail, who cannot perish. That's what we've been redeemed to. And it's secured because of his very character and person. And I love how this particular section ends. In case you were wondering, I'm not going to get to chapter 5 and verse 1. That's next week. 
But take a look at chapter four, verses six and seven. He sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's the spirit of God that is crying this out on our behalf. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, most of you know, uh, I have four granddaughters. And um, two of them uh, are two or under. And as the case was with the older two as well, we're in that stage now where they might be speaking in the spirit, but without an interpreter, we're kind of lost. And even when they, they're, they're names for us, and all of you that are grandparents know, or have kids and, you know, they're dealing with your parents. Um, they come up with some really interesting names for grandma and grandpa, do they not? Some really, sometimes really funny ones. But they seldom sound anything like grandma or grandpa. And they take a little bit of, translation so I will con- I will on- <laughs> this happens a lot um, when they're over and I'll say to Chelsea well what Jalen will be going rattling off I've had I've had it's whatever she's saying and, I, and I'll say to her Chelsea what did she just say and she'll say um, you know I love you pop pop or something else and my heart's all happy but I needed an interpreter, all right? I needed someone to help me. To, she needed someone to help her. Jayla needed someone to help her express clearly to me her love. And that's what's going on in this verse. The Spirit of God interprets uh, so that we can issue forth praises to the Lord that make sense according to who he is. And he delights in that. I'm thankful that he provides that for us. Otherwise, we'd be unable to communicate. And then it goes even beyond that aspect of communication to you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This inheritance, yes, it's promised to us. It's secured by God's work to redeem us. But what we're inheriting It's not an empty title. It's a relationship that's full of communion and love and communication and and devotion. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Through whom, through Jesus, we exist for God in its entirety. Jesus Christ has made this possible. This is our adoption. He paid that adoption price and chose us in Him. The Father chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. As the Lord allows, next week we're going to
look at the implications of all that we've talked about today in terms of being adopted in Jesus Christ. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 5, you'll have a pretty good hint of where I'm going if you think, well, what? What could that blank that is left there at the bottom of those notes in the bulletin there, what could that be? And I'm pretty sure if you read chapter 5 and verse 1, you'll all know what it is. Because he did not do all of this and promise all of this and secure all of this so that we would go back to slavery. Your joy, ultimately, is in the freedom that is ours, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God willing, we'll take a look at that next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do grant us joy in our adoption. I thank you that you you loved us while we were yet enemies. You loved us before the world began. You made your plans. You carried them out. And you granted us faith. Lord, I pray that that would be true of everyone here. That they would, that we would all know the joy of what it means to live in one faith, one baptism, one body, one Father, one Lord, one Spirit, one hope. Lord, help us to live in the light of that joy and not strive to redeem ourselves again. Lord, grant us the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you will do. We ask, Father, that you would uh, encourage us now as we come to your table. As we think of the oneness that is ours in, in, what, in you because of Christ's finished work, stir us up with even greater joy and zeal and devotion. In Jesus' name.